millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to The Curator Podcast. Season 2, Episode 19. The Return of Jonah Matranga. Jonah, how are you today? I'm good. I'm I'm You look I'm, tired, man. It's I'm midway through, you know, forty show summer. And today begins twenty shows straight up till the end. It's just a straight run through the UK for August and um twenty shows in the UK. And yeah. Europe as well. No. Can you no, do it 20 shows in the UK? I know. <laughs> well, you'd think, right? I know. No, it's just I'm doing... What, so I did Dunlop. And then... And of course I did 2,000 Trees in July, but I, I, in this month I did Dunlop. And then Glasgow tonight, Inverness, Aberdeen. Uh, and then down to, I think, Bolton. And anyway, yeah, so... Doing, I'm covering a lot of ground. Inver- yeah. Inverness to Bolton, man. That's a drive. Yeah, well, no, I do, we're doing Inverness, Aberdeen, but oh, okay, cool. yeah, so yeah. we got a little, yeah, a little nice. Spot. So you're yeah. going right up to Inverness after this? Yep. Cool. Yeah. What's it like? Five hours from here? Yeah. So yeah. But the same as Aberdeen, it just up just up the west coast right. to the east coast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm tired, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, but tired on tour, sort of a relative thing. I'm just in a place called being on tour. I'm sure that I'm tired. I always know I'm tired because when I get home, I'm really fucking yeah. tired. <laughs> and right now, like, I actually feel good. I actually feel good. Well, yeah. you look content, though, which is, uh, yeah. which is probably the best thing to say. Well, that's a nice thing that comes with tired sometimes, is sometimes when I'm tired, my my ego and my brain and my vanity can't get going too much because I'm just... That takes energy. Mm-hmm. It takes energy to keep yeah. that up. And it's kind of nice to just let that go a little bit and... Um, yeah, I've had a couple of days off between mainland Europe and here, so that's it. Both makes me more tired in that I'm sort of rested and I kind of. So yeah, we'll see. Um, do you ever get anxious on tour? Yeah, I mean, yes, I do get anxious on tour, and it takes different forms, and that is one thing in some ways that just getting into kind of tour survival tired mode helps with because. It's that uh, there's a there's a saying in a, a lot of sort of um, self care circles that that's a when I got busy I got better and it's just kind of if I'm doing stuff if I'm in motion kind of don't have as much time to kind of stew and get anxious and mm-hmm. freak out so yeah I think out on tour for me for the most part it's pretty existential angst it's <laughs> it's you know on on the bad days it's sort of you know, what the fuck am I doing with my life you know how's this how and and on the good days that same thing is you know there's either is my 20th summer in or 20th year coming to the UK I guess I came over in October November of 97 for the first time yeah and so some days it's fuck yeah it's been 20 years that's amazing and some days like God, I've been doing this for fucking 
20 years. What is my problem? <laughs> so it the same thing, different moods. It's pretty cool that you still be doing it for 20 years. It though. is. No, it is. Mostly it's just astonishing to me that it has been and it's all worked out pretty well. I'm still happy. I'm still alive. I'm still healthy. People still give a shit what I do. Uh, it's, I feel, unbelievably fortunate, really. That makes me wonder, man. Like, see, with the fact that now it's now going to be your 20th year, do you ever kind of still get the wake up one morning and think, holy shit, it's the day, the day that it ends? Like, the, the, well, no it's, going to matter, it's not going to matter anymore? Or? Or, well, I mean, I've been watching my audience and my sort of relevance in the in the industry and in the scene, I've been watching that dwindle for for years. I mean, really, and it, not that it was ever that big, but, um, and I've been kind of consciously letting it dwindle in the sense that there's just there keep being things that I don't. I, again, I don't really want to put my energy towards yeah. them. I don't. It's I understand that there there would be good things to do for my career and for this and this and this, and I just I keep moving towards this idea of. It, it has to be fun. It has to be enjoyable. It has to be... It, every, the whole process needs to be fun and interesting. Um, and not that... I mean, I just work and do... Also, I mean, I'm on my computer all the time, keeping in touch with people. And so there's a grind to everything. And that's part of being DOI. And I happen to love that. And sure, I'm always thinking that... I've been thinking for a long time now that it's going to end. And it keeps going <laughs> in, in this really cool way. I mean, and... Earlier in this tour, I had a real, is this going to end? Because my voice went out in a way that it really hasn't before. I mean, I've had my voice be pretty rough on tour over the years. And this one was, I don't know, it, it just felt different. And Did you have to cancel a show for that? Was that, that uh, I never canceled no? one. I didn't do that, that. But there was a couple that Touch my voice canceled. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it was, I mean, I was, I played, yeah, I played a hardcore fest in, in Czech Republic. Uh, called Fluff Fest, and I was, I mean, I was growling my way through that set, <laughs> and people were super sweet, though, and then I played uh, in Vienna in this tiny little cafe, and I, I sang so fucking quiet. I just sang so... And I just... It's it's very humbling. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling to be a singer and not have a voice. I mean, what yeah. the fuck am I supposed to do? So, yeah, so that was a time when I was like, oh, wow, maybe I'm done doing this. Like, maybe... Or maybe I have to completely change the way I do this. Um... So yeah, that's forever in my head, and I—it's kind of nice. I like living with that sense of mortality. Actually, it kind of keeps me keeps me fresh. Yeah, the the voice thing was something I wanted to ask you about actually, because I, as a singer, I've struggled with my voice. I've been I've been doing hardcore stuff for about a couple of years now, yeah. and and it's no joke. It is no joke, man. Um, and I've been getting into the habit of asking singers about their voice because. A lot of bands that I've seen that I really love, like I'll talk to the singers, maybe not on the podcast, but maybe afterwards. Like, sure, sure. How's the throat going? And they'll always be like, well, maybe a little bit dodgy today. Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't yeah. always hold out for like a whole tour and stuff. And it makes me go, man, why do we do it to ourselves? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah it's, it's a fair question. I, I, but it's love, it's passion. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, and it's that line between passion and compulsion. It's a very interesting and mysterious line. Um, and... Yeah, the voice stuff, I, frankly, for a lot of years, I, um, you know, I get my sleep and I get my water and I do that stuff. And I just really didn't worry about it too much. I just thought, I'm just going to sing, do the best I can, and and knock on Ford Focus dashboard <laughs> plastic. Um, I, 
it's been okay. Um, and this last time when it went out and I was in the, you know, in the middle of a bunch of shows and traveling, um, and it really went out in a way that felt different. I did actively, like I called singer friends. I looked online. I was like, okay, what, what can I do? And mm-hmm. yeah, I did a lot of steaming stuff and made some little, you know, a lot of lemon and honey and cayenne pepper sipping. And, um, so yeah, it's, um, I think it's a good thing for singers to talk to each other. Uh, and I think the fact is most of us don't really know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah, and we're totally. just, you know, it's, yeah. we're not classical singers. We're yeah. not technicians. Oh. We're, to me, if you're in anything like rock and roll, whether it's whatever branch of rock and roll it is, you're generally not in the most ideal environments and you're generally just going hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I go hard when I sing. It's yeah. it's just sort of it's written into the songs. I can't really sing a lot of the songs halfway. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the way they arrived. And so I guess it's not that I have to do them that way, but it's kind of what it calls for. Singing the songs halfway is also a thing which I think is really interesting because I don't think I could sing a lot of songs, even like songs that I like from a lot of artists that are playing guitar. I don't think there's any way that I could do them, you know, part way either. Well, that's my thing is that mm-hmm. I've always hated practicing. Mm-hmm. I've hated singing a song. I love writing a song, and I, I sort of like singing it while I'm learning it, um, and I like singing it for people. And, but even when I'm at a sound check, generally speaking, I sing it pretty hard, just because. I don't know. I think songs are meant to be sung. I don't really want to do music as a utilitarian thing. I want to do it because it shakes me up and it feels great. And, um, so yeah, it's it's hard for me to sing a song halfway. Yeah. So let's. I want to go back to the twenty years. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah, 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 sure, yeah. Just for a wee second. Yeah, please. You wrote a book, or you're writing a book? Right. Yeah, yeah. This is why. Yeah, my mind. No, it is yeah. done. The book is done. Um, was it hard? It was. Uh, as I've been saying at a lot of shows, and this is just true. It's. I, I now have a really felt sense of why so many writers drink themselves to death <laughs> and kill themselves. I really do. It's. It's a really. It's a different discipline, uh, for me than writing songs ever was. You need to pull it out, man. You need to just fucking grind that shit out. It's it's a different thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no melody to lean on. There's no rhythm to lean on. There's no volume to lean on. It's a longer form, so it can't be just like the cute couplet and then let the guitarist take it for a while. It's all words. It's all... Um, yeah, everything has to be on the page. And then... Yeah, and then I was writing about my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to write a fluffy piece of bullshit and I didn't want to write a sensationalistic piece of bullshit that kind of went around the sort of subtleties and complexities. I just wanted to really write what happened and um, it was, uh, I was pretty depressed through it and it wasn't that I was sad about what I was writing about. I just think that the creative process stretched out that far for me. I was spending a lot of time alone and with the, yeah, with all these thoughts and all this getting older and all this sort of the past and the present and the what's happening and it was a lot it was a serious thing and I'm really happy I did it I'm it's nearly 400 pages it's a it's a real book I think it's a good book um and part of me thinks I'll never ever try to do anything like that again <laughs> and I'm so happy to just be out here singing songs it's such it's such more it's just so much simpler and um in every way and there's a lot of mornings lately where I wake up with, with book ideas in my head, and that's kind of a nice feeling um, because now I know what they mean. Mm-hmm. I'd always dreamt, I think, of writing a book. I think maybe a lot of people do, the great American novel and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And and now that I've done it, 
I still have those dreams, but they feel different. They both feel, I feel a little bit more cautious about them, kind of careful what you wish for. <laughs> and I feel more like, okay. So I would I have a more of a sense of what that might be like to try yeah. to do that. But yeah. Was it this reflective part of you that kind of decided now might be the time to put these in the words? Or? Honestly, I think, and this is one of those careful what you wish for things, I was feeling kind of done with music or, or something, kind of wondering what was left. Um, and and I wanted to be home more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to not uh, rely on touring so much for my income. So I did a Kickstarter thing, and um, which I've done a lot before to make albums, but I, I set the goal higher, um, both because if I was going to write a book, I really wanted to make sure someone gave a shit about it. And also because... I knew that I wanted to stay home for longer and I knew that it, it may well take longer to write a book than to make a record, which it definitely did. <laughs> uh, and so it was, um, so yeah, it started out ironically as kind of a, I wanted to relax a little bit and I did relax in a lot of ways writing it. It helped me get a lot of perspective on things and it was a very, the discipline it took and the, even the depression it brought all humbled me and I think that was good. And it also was the opposite of what I thought I was going to get. I mean, it was very strenuous <laughs> physically and emotionally in its own way. Um, so, yeah, it was just, uh, I just, I was kind of just curious. I was also curious to see if I could use my brain to do something other than music, which is really all I've ever used it for. Music and fighting on the internet. <laughs> um, and uh, And so I wanted to see how it, would feel to use it for that and that felt nice too to kind of stretch in that way it was nice and now that you've done it um was it weird in the process of looking over your life and going holy shit i did that thing or i did those things yeah i mean it was it was uh it was it was that part was really cool though honestly um sometimes i would discover in writing about things over the course of a decade i would sort of start seeing these patterns that weren't super flattering to see and and I'm a pretty self-analytical, done a lot of work, introspective mm-hmm. person anyway. So none of it was a super big surprise to me. Um, and so most of that was actually quite rewarding to to kind of watch myself grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so the book is about uh, it's it's called Alone Rewinding: Twenty Three Years of Fatherhood and Music and. And my daughter's going to be 23 this mm-hmm. summer. And so it was really about this parallel journey of being a dad and being scared of being a shitty dad and being scared of turning out like my dad and leaving and trying to be an artist, which was this completely blank slate, mysterious dream thing. And how those two centers of my heart and of my life worked together and wove together and they could have ripped each other apart, but they kind of propped each other up in this really nice way. And the people, it gave me a, an even deeper appreciation for the people that have supported me in the music over the years because I saw not only, of course, I was looking back on the fact that they helped me raise my kid, literally. I also saw that the relationship I've had with people that like the music and the way that has happened has been has been a, something of a family for me. My family's pretty small and there's been a lot of, trauma in my family over the years and so it was neat to see how my fatherhood saved my life and also how my music saved my life Mm -hmm. and it was it was so in that way it was incredibly 
rewarding. And um, and around the middle of the book, I was really frustrated, and I was, I was like, "What the fuck am I? Why am I just making some another piece of fucking merch? You know, <laughs> like just stop this stuff." And then it occurred to me, literally walking out the door one day, I really remember the moment. I just it, I realized when the book was done, I was gonna have. A keepsake to give to my daughter that was gonna be my best attempt at saying who I was, who she was to me, what our life was like while she was growing up. Um, and she has her own memories and her own stuff to do. And it felt really amazing to know. I just started picturing, honestly, I would start picturing handing a manuscript to her, just like a big long letter. Mm-hmm. This is what's up. And so that's really the impetus for the book. And once I found that, then it, I had a real sense of purpose behind it. I'm going to preface this next thing I'm going to say by uh, saying I'm not trying to name drop, no. but when I spoke to Laura Jane Grace about her book, sure. she was also say, she was saying that it's like, she was fucking terrifying to think that people were going to read the stuff. Have you got that same fear as well? Yeah, I mean, sure. And I... It's funny. I think I'm more, I get more nervous about the internet these days than I do about a book. I mean, I guess I suppose someone could cut and paste something out of the book and take it way out of context and and that's whatever. But, but it's cool because the book exists and anyone who wants to can see all of the context. Mm -hmm. Whereas an interview or, um, or a piece of gossip or story, Mm -hmm. story someone tells about me or picture someone takes of me or something, I'm in far less control of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously the, our whole commerce these days is stories about each other, mm-hmm. pretty much. And so that actually frightens me more than the book thing. Um, and also, I mean, I just I just really, I put a lot into the book and I thought a lot about it. And I, it's a pretty easy thing to stand behind, even if it's not a flattering moment that I'm talking about. I didn't talk a lot of shit about people. I just didn't. And not because I wanted to avoid controversy, but as I really started thinking, what am I going to put in these 400 pages about the last 23 years? It just, a lot of the bullshits kind of fell away. Mm-hmm. It's just not that important, mm-hmm. you know, and I understand lots of people sell lots of books by telling salacious stories about this and this. But if I was just trying to might the, write the most true thing that I could, and when it really came down to it, a lot of the fights and a lot of the crazy times they at best seemed kind of emblematic of a larger theme Mm -hmm. that was already clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And at worst, just seemed, you know, like totally silly, sensationalist bullshit. I mean, you know, which again, like the economy runs on that. And um, so, yeah, I could, I could see that. And, and to be totally clear, you know, her book, I'm presuming dealt with her transition and her, I mean, you know, just uh, whatever, Mm -hmm. I haven't read it. So, you know, but whatever she went through, um, which I've been through some hard stuff yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. And I don't have anything in my life around which there's that much hostility directed yeah. uh-huh. towards, you know, the, and I take really seriously my, my privilege in that way. Like as a dude, you know, as a straight cis yeah. white guy, um, if anything, I was writing about my sort of awakening to that as I grew up and in a lot of different ways. And, um, and trying to be real about that, yeah. who I was as a kid and how that was growing up. So in her case, 
I'm imagining if I had something in my life around which there was that much judgment and mm-hmm. hostility and divisiveness, you know, yeah. that it would be a much more intense process, yeah. I would think. Mm-hmm. I've actually been thinking about that I'm going to say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been thinking about this a lot recently, and it's interesting you bring it up because I was thinking about it later on as well. This whole idea of, like, white male privilege sure. and having to check it all the time. Yeah. And how so many people don't. Yeah, and yeah. like I, I was like I was listening to a band called The Communists today, or mm-hmm. like uh, I don't know if you've heard them, but like a sort of uh, Asian American punk band. Yeah, sure, sure. Muslim punk, yeah, sort of thing. And I was thinking, wow, it's amazing. I've never heard of that before. And then one of their videos is about like a guy who basically gassed to get off a plane because he was Asian and he had like a white box and stuff like that. And he didn't get off a plane because in the box was just baklava. So and he shared it with the people, but people were just asking him, thinking yeah. they could just say, you know, yeah, yeah. And to me, it's just like, well, sh- why can't why can't people see these patterns? You know, what, what, what? I mean, I know that, like, we can speak in the benefit of having thought about it and go, you know what, hang on a second, yeah, we have got privilege because, you know, we just so happen to be white and male and they seem to have ruled the world, which is fucking pretty shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. People can't see it and... Obviously, there's there's some really good examples of that right now. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of fear going around. I, I, yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of times one of the lines against against even thinking or talking about this subject is, yeah, why do you like white guilt? Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people say, and I have nothing to feel guilty for in the sense that I was born into the system. Mm -hmm. I didn't create it. Mm I didn't do anything. All it's about for me is acknowledging that it even exists, which really, it, it you don't need a history degree to see it. Like yeah. It's just really, it's really easy to see. Just turn on the TV. Um, you can look at wages. You can look at, you know, school. You can look at income. You can look at prison. You, like, you can look at literally any facet of society. Yeah the most cursory, simple take on it, and you see the advantage that it is being white, being male, being straight. Um, 
these aren't hard. These things aren't, shouldn't even be argued about as yeah. far as the numbers go. It's Absolutely. not even it's not even really worth it. Mm-hmm. So then the choice is so so. Okay, so wow, I've got I've got some more power in this system. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, that's really the only mm-hmm. choice. And I'm not I'm not sitting around feeling ashamed of it because again, it's where I am. What brings me, what I really think about is actually projecting further. I've got a daughter growing up, so I would like to leave the world a little less shit than it was when I came Uh into it on these levels. I would like to use my power, and there's a phrase, leveraging your privilege. You know, there's all these phrases going around, and some people just get so scared of them, and I just think it's really interesting. I think it's like, I've got, in this way, I have just was born with a little more money, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively, Mm -hmm. than other people, Mm -hmm. and a little more ability to get money. Mm -hmm. So just, and and money is money, but I'm just saying it's a good measuring stick. So how am I going to spend it? Am I going to spend it on a fucking fancy car for myself, or am I going to spend it sort of like helping some other people get fed a little Mm -hmm. more, and I'm still good? Like, I'm fine. So I don't really get all the anger, um... Except for the fact the the thing I liken it to the most is the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. As we sit in a car. Yeah, as we sit in a car. <laughs> no, I mean, but just to purely as a metaphor, because so the, the fossil fuel industry, regardless of what the facts are about it, again, it's very easy to see the numbers on it, but it's been going for a long time, and there's all this infrastructure built up around it, mm-hmm. and the people that run it and make trillions and trillions of dollars from it, forget about whether they're good or bad people or whatever, it's it's all they know. So it's all their family yeah. knows. They're, we're all, to some degree or another, terrified of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So to switch, to sort of say, not only am I going to go into a totally unknown place, I'm, I'm going to willingly give up this, this sort of, you know, this stratospheric level of mm-hmm. privilege and power that I have. I can look at all the numbers and know that solar is better, know that wind is better, know that we need, if we're going to even survive, all of us at all, we need to figure it out. And people are still stuck to it. And I'm stuck to it habitually. I still have a car. Um, I know the facts. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the street right now burning down a fucking police station. Like, and it's not that 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 you know one could argue whether what the you know the value of that idea my point is that i get to choose where i'm going to be in this conversation and i just don't want to be another straight white guy in angry denial of really easy to see facts and clinging tightly to this this identity and this shit that i never even wanted yeah and I'm grateful for it, frankly. I make a living singing. You want to tell me, like, that, uh, you know, I don't know what the numbers are on likelihood of success of straight white cis guy singing versus, you know, black, Muslim, lesbian, transgender, whatever the fuck singing. Mm-hmm. But it there's a disparity there. Yeah. <laughs> I can promise you that. You know, I have an easier time being led into people's houses mm-hmm. and being trusted on planes and being trusted in clubs and being trusted as a product to sell. Yeah. And it's, so it's not even, and again, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not even, it's just, I just want to be real about that. I just, it's like, I want to be real about gravity and the mm-hmm. sun and privilege. Yeah. They're, they're the same thing to me. So yeah, I, I don't understand the upset, but there certainly is a lot of fear and everyone knows the world is getting browner. That's sort of the way evolution goes. Mm-hmm. And I think the choice right now for white people, you know, just to keep it in that particular thing, I would say it's sort of white people and men are the two 
rulers and they're sort of white men, which is like, <laughs> wow. And we do most of the killing yeah. and, most, most and, the shit, and yeah. have most of the money and most yeah. of the raping and, you know, most of all that stuff. So it's just sort of, am I going to be curious and, and try and broaden my world mm. or am I going to tighten up? Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the choice. And unfortunately, a lot of people are tightening up. I think the moral part of me kind of goes, well, how can you not see this pattern and not want to act on it? Right. I mean, it's, yeah, there is a little bit of, again, because there's lots of metaphors of, yeah, if, if I'm walking along and not only do I see that I'm safe and on the other side of the street, someone is in serious peril, I also have to recognize that my safety literally is part of their peril. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their lack of safety comes at the expense of my excess of safety. Mm-hmm. And that's, these are just numbers. This isn't an opinion. It's not a... These are just numbers. Any look at history, any look at anything will show this. And so, yeah, there just becomes a choice of who do I want to be in the world? And no one's looking. You know, I'm not, I'm not even coming from like a God place. I'm just saying, who do I want to be? If when I'm falling asleep at night, what, and, and really to be totally real about it, like when I'm dying and looking back on my life, what am I going to want to look back yeah. on? What am I going to be proud of? Mm-hmm. And... My biggest fear, honestly, isn't getting hit by a safe. I don't want to die right now, but my biggest fear is living till a ripe old age where everyone around me would say, oh, he lived a good life, and me knowing inside that I fucking cheated. And I've already cheated enough. We all cheat. Oh, my God. It's just like it's one big fucking cheat. So it's fine, but I don't want to do that as much as possible. I just It's more fun for me. to. And I like facing discomfort. I happen to be a person who... Yeah, it kind of enjoys yeah. enjoys that feeling of like, oh, let's see what this habit is and let's see why I feel safe here and why I don't feel safe here. And Speaking of this comfort and this, this kind of whole yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, as sure. basically a segue. Yeah, yeah, please, please. <laughs> I can yeah. extend this segue. I've, I've noticed you've been a lot more active politically online uh, and just generally as, a, as, a, as an artist. Well, it's it's funny. I mean, I, it's it's I don't know whether I have or not. It's it's interesting. I've I just, uh, I've been looking, well, as I write this. So the book is based around... 36 songs over the course of my life. Each chapter is a song. And, and it's not really about the songs. It's about where I was in my life when that song happened. And songs you've written or songs by other people? Or songs that I've written. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's tons of songs by other people referenced in the book, but I'm saying the chapter titles are literally song titles. And there's a soundtrack to the book that's each of the songs. And, um, and so within that, I was, I was looking going, what what out of the hundreds of songs that I've written recorded what songs will represent this part of my life so anyway i was looking at other songs and in just i'm just all this is to say looking at the songs i mean when i was in high school one of the songs i wrote was called get it off your back and it was a song about the pharmaceutical drug industry i don't even know how he was even (laughs) thinking about that at 14 but it's just it's just like these what is it that you know uh these 80s pharmaceutics stronger than the street drugs make all the rich old ladies happy little human slugs but it's all right for them because doctors know best and if the pills don't get finished then they'll swallow the rest you know like and i mean i grew up on punk rock and stuff and so i'm sure whatever uh but and i was writing about race and i was writing about gender um the the early far stuff i was looking back on it and there's a song called seasick which is kind of about you know our slaughter of the indigenous people indigenous people and so it's actually always been in my whole sphere and we're in the age of social networking where again our currency is kind of our voice Mm -hmm. um and it's it's all over the place for better or for worse 
And so at one point, and again, speaking of privilege, I have, you know, the, you know, something like probably 10,000 people on each little network or something like that. Um, uh, and whatever, however reach works in that. And I just thought, again, how am I going to use my voice? Yeah, yeah. And I post some cute, silly shit because it's fun and uh-huh. I, it's fun and it's life and it's love and it's, it's totally great. And I just, there, I did at one point start making a conscious choice of, hmm, if I've got this voice, and frankly, I don't take social networks that all seriously in the sense that they're not like being face to face. They're 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 not being with my friends. I mean, um, so what am I going to do with it? And I just started, yeah, I just started really kind of choosing that more. And then, honestly, it's really that I was saying the same thing for a while. And as it got more divisive, people started noticing. I think more, um, and I think, frankly, where a lot of people got off and stopped talking about it or only talked about it to this degree of sort of this degree of passion, mm-hmm. I kept going. Because mm-hmm. I, I think it's a little bit like the music. I kind of like to go hard. I want to mm-hmm. know I left it all out there. Yeah. And so for me, thought and conversation, is the, it's the same thing as songs. It's the same thing as um, a show. I just, I want to see what I got. I want to see what's there. I wanna, I'm curious as to push it. And I want to be wrong. And I want to learn. And I want to do that. And... Again, as a straight white cis guy, I just saw so many of my buddies either being outright shitheads or just kind of letting it go by because they know they're going to be okay. And it's been really, honestly, really, really depressing for me. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't, I don't know a lot of skinheads or neo-Nazis. <laughs> I know some people that are pretty conservative and have certainly known them over the years. But more what has bummed me out has been the this sort of really polite, quiet, let the latest killing go by kind of attitude. Um, And I've just, it's not to impress anyone. I'm sure I've lost more (laughs) friends and listeners than I've gained. Yeah, Yeah, so it's not not a business move. It's not a, it's not to be cool. I don't need to be liked by someone. I want to have an interesting life. I want to feel happy with myself. And to some degree, I want to do what I can to offset all of the white voices that yeah. are silent. It's like karma, almost. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, and that, that's a funny term. I, I kind of gets tossed around a lot, and I'm not sure quite what I even think of it. But if karma is the, you know, the idea of that me just, yeah, putting, putting what I want to see into the world, mm-hmm. I'll take that. Yeah. That's fine. Um yeah, it's uh, and I'm just trying to figure it out. But it's funny. I think I've always been this kid, and it's interesting to see it against the backdrop of what the world has been mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, shit. And if man, if what was around in 2001, like Friendster, um, <laughs> MySpace, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if there had been social networks, I mean, some of the shit I said in the wake of 2001 and wake of 9/11, um, which by the way, it wasn't. I mean. I don't even want to get into that whole thing. Uh, it's fine. I'm not like a scared to, but yeah. it's just such a snake pit. Mm. But I was talking a lot about uh, a lot of things that 
a lot of Americans did not want to talk about like why are we reacting to this with so much anger and fear and why is our anger directed at people who clearly weren't responsible for this mm-hmm. like what's happening right now and no one wanted to talk about that um and good lord i can't imagine how hung out to dry would have gotten on facebook back then i mean i was just a little new and original shows yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and even there you know people would get pretty mad at me talking about the war that, that i was and i remember being over in the uk actually when i remember when abu Ghraib went down and the American soldiers were, were implicated in it. And I was, it was playing a pretty big place, I remember. And I said something like, yeah, for any of you out there who don't think British soldiers were implicated in this, like, <laughs> just let's, war is war and it fucks people up. The point is that these young people, the people that did the horrible shit, they themselves were horribly, obviously traumatized and fucked up, which is why they did this heinous shit. And this is what war is. We need to look at it. But man, those British people were booing my ass. And, if, and it was so valuable. Like two weeks later, it totally came out that British soldiers were implicated too. And I was like, gee! So, but anyway, yeah. These things don't exist in a vacuum. There's, there's a whole... They don't. I mean, chain, you know, that's like, the whole thing. Is yeah. I, Again, it's not about... People get so stuck in like, are you calling me a racist? Mm-hmm. It's not Reactionary. about... Yeah, it's this real defensive... I mean, there's a good term for that. White fragility, you know, of people don't want to be bad. There's such a... And the ways in which, uh, first of all, good and bad, fucking Christ, I think that whole dichotomy is part of the problem. Um, But, yeah, it's not about being bad. It's about being real about who we are. And I don't care what nationality you are. You are in war. You're going to be fucked up for a while, man, as far as I can tell. Anyone who survives war emotionally intact, it's the exception that proves the rule. Speaking of who you are, the the whole sense I've got from this conversation, Jonah, is a very curious person. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's a, I mean, well, okay, so this tattoo, the, the, you know, the heart and the question mark. Yeah. Sure, love, you know, da, da, da. Um, but this part, mystery, curiosity, and, and that's, that's me. Love and curiosity, like, that's it. And curiosity can look like confrontation. Curiosity can look like an argument. Um, love can look like confrontation. Love can look like an argument. Passion, passion is passion. Passion mm. is heat, hot, you know, and... That's definitely me, but yes, I am really curious. It's also still the punk out of the pier. Yeah. Still, still the punk is punk. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's punk, you know, everyone's always fighting about what that is. And to me, part of staying young, part of staying punk, part of staying whatever, it's about staying curious. It's about staying open. Who am I? What? And I want my blind spots to be illuminated. I want to see how I'm an asshole mm. when I don't know I'm being an asshole. I want to... Because cause I, I want to stop being an asshole yeah. if I can. And that doesn't mean someone's always going to think I'm an asshole. That's fine. But in my heart, I just want to be able to get quiet and go, am I okay with the way I'm behaving right now, regardless of what anyone else thinks? And I, if there's any good definition to growing up, I think it's like getting, like loving yourself and like being real with yourself. Jonah, it's been a total pleasure to talk Jesus to you. Jesus Christ, this is a good one. Thanks, a really, really this good This was yeah. a dense one. Exactly, man. That's, but I really want to keep it going, but I'm I know, me too. Of the time. No, I know, I know. We got to yeah. go and see. What time is it, actually? It's, yeah. it's 20 past nine. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. go see Witching Waves. Is there anything else you want to say or anything you want to add before we finish? Well, I mean, I'll give a shout-out to Witching Waves, and it's really interesting, the place we're playing tonight. Bar Block had some intense thing around uh, a trans person using the bathroom there and all this stuff, yeah. so... So we're right in the middle of it. I just mm-hmm. kind of wanted to add that in because this is the conversation and mm-hmm. this is what's happening. And, and Witching Ways wrote to me two days before this this 
tour started saying, hey, we just found out about this. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? And I said, you know what? Let's go. Let's yeah. have the conversation. Let's do the thing. And um, It took steps to, to you know, address yeah, certain things. Yeah, and, you know, and I don't know much about yeah. it. I just wanted to really presence that because it's not, these aren't, high-minded ideological things that I'm just thinking about because I think I'm smart. This is the world we're in. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a dick to people yeah. unwittingly. I don't want to judge people and I don't want to sit by and watch people get fucked with. Mm -hmm. Like I do not, that's not, I, one thing that's always made me more angry than anything else, even more than me being threatened, is when I see someone being bullied or being taken advantage of, like I get, like, I, my blood goes. And so, um... God, there's so much more actually I'd want to talk about, but next yeah. time we'll next do another time. one. We'll definitely do another one. Okay. Cool, thank you. Thank you. Oof, boy, that was a deep one. That was a deep conversation. Could, like we said at the end there, could have spoke for ages and ages and ages, but time, time is always against us. See, that's the thing about doing this kind of, I guess. I suppose you could call it a DIY podcast, is that you just need to squeeze it in, you know, in between sound checks and food and, and show times and all that. But hey, I'm thankful that people want to talk to me. I'm thankful that Jonah wanted to talk to me again. I thought that was a really great chat. So here's the deal, right? I passed my driving test at the end of May. I got my licence officially through the door I started June 2017 and I've now done two interviews in that car the Ford Focus and it's kind of becoming a sort of de facto recording studio but you know what I'm actually quite happy about that interviews in the past I've struggled to find quiet places that's why I've always preferred to do it in tour buses or tour fans but now having my own space which is essentially you know a portable studio is, is good soft furnishings man you really do the business and yeah you really can't complain with the silence of inside the car. It seems to be working out quite well so far, anyway. And you know what? I'm quite happy with the way it sounded. So yeah, once again, thanks very much to Jonah for taking the time to talk to me. This podcast episode comes out on the 10th of August, 2017. And his birthday is on the 11th of August, so... I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but I'm going to wish him a happy birthday anyway. And I suppose if you're listening to this, maybe you should wish him a happy birthday as well. Just saying. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you can take a wee second to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already, that'd be really appreciated. You can do that just by hitting the subscribe button and whatever podcasting app that you're currently using. My task for you, listener, is for you to tell one other person about this podcast. Just just a pal. A pal that you think might like it or one that maybe doesn't even listen to podcasts and say, hey, I quite dig this podcast. Maybe you would dig it too. And if you do that, I would really love it. So, yeah, that is your one task for today. Just tell a friend. Just recommend it, man. That's pretty much all I'm asking for. I'm not going to make money off doing this. It's never going to be a huge podcast. I'm happy with a lot I've got. But, you know, a little bit of an increase in listeners would never go amiss. So, aye, if you get a wee second, I'd appreciate it if you could do that too. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.